The Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. And it says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and was beside the sea. They came for, then came one of the ruler of the synagogue, Horias, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had been discharged of blood for twelve years, who had suffered much under many physicians, had spent all the time she had. It was no better, no, no better, but rather grew worse. She heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if, <coughs> even if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power had gone out from him, immediately <coughs> turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowds pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, trembling, and fell down before him, and told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be held of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus t said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And, allow me, and, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, John, and the John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus saw the co commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to, to them, Why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And they put him, them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him into there where the child was. Taking her by hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were nearly overcome with amazement. And he greatly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. Between verse 1 and 20 of chapter 5, there's the healing of 
So the whole book of chapter 5, the whole chapter, is focused on Jesus healing, specifically three major healings that are part of his middle, kind of beginning to the middle of his ministry. Now in this text, we are told that Jesus is crossing back over the sea, coming to the country of Sennacherib. Before he had hit Sennacherib, he had come basically to, from that same spot. So literally, at that harbor, was teaching parables, to a bunch of people that were there, big, big crowd. He got on a boat. He went over to the boat. On the way over, we had the stormy sea, and the disciples freaking out because of the weather. Jesus calming the sea. They land at Genesis. They stop. He does a healing. Not really sure what else he does. And then he comes back and crosses over the boat. Now, in terms of the time frame, I mean, that could be a day, two days, three days. could be a matter of hours. Not really sure. I mean, storms that pass through here in 15 minutes, right? So, I mean, it's possible that this could have happened within a day or two days, but no one really knows. But basically, the point is, the crowds he was just teaching the parable to were not yet dispersed. They were, they were still there, still around, and still uh, kind of observing. And so they most likely heard that Jesus was coming back, or they saw a boat coming back that Jesus had left in, and they decided to stick around. So when the boat landed, there's a big crowd already ready to see Jesus and to meet him, hoping to probably hear some more teaching or something. And then all suddenly we are told that this elder of the synagogue approaches Jesus. Now we have to remember when they refer to an elder of the synagogue, it doesn't necessarily mean a rabbi. You know, if they're gonna if it's gonna be a rabbi, they're gonna say a rabbi. But an elder of the synagogue had great poverty, okay, and a great authority. A lot of the elders in the villages, okay, they, but some of them were either Pharisees, they were uh, scholars, or some of them were even Levites, or priests, that would go serve in the temple, and they would do their time of serving, and they would come back, and they would live in their, where they're from, in that community, or wherever they got married, or whatnot, and they would serve in the synagogue in some kind of ruling fashion, because they had that authority back home. Okay, so the elder, the ruler of the elder, would have also overseen disputes, in the, specifically around the Jewish law. So if there was a dispute between ownership of land, inheritance, uh, crimes, um, the local Roman government, or the local kingship, wouldn't necessarily hear that. It would go through the, the synagogue, if they were Jewish, first, and then they would kind of move up the system and forth. So they were, it was really, in essence, a very important person came to Jesus. He came to Jesus and was associated. Now, you got to understand, there's this big crowd, right? So in my mind, I'm, I'm picturing what I would observe in Laos, when a big, important official from the government would come into a village. There would be a big crowd, and as the important person would be walking through the village, the crowd would kind of separate and move over, and like, oh, move out of the way, this important person is coming, and they would walk through, this crowd, while everyone was making room for them. And then all of a sudden, this ruler drops down on his knees and begs Jesus to go and visit his daughter, to go and hear. And I really see, in a sense of desperation, that he has done everything in his power and his authority to, is the mic on? Can you hear me? Double. He couldn't do battery. I'm going to keep going, but we're going to change out the batteries, okay? 
this better now? Oh yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a, okay from the back in. So I know in here I got a loud voice, but down there they can't really hear me, right? So they, they thronged about him. They were really close to him and uptight as they walked around, okay? They were really, they wanted to be near Jesus. They wanted to follow him. And in essence, they probably heard that Jesus was going to go heal this guy's daughter. So they were intrigued in what was going to happen. So there's an element of going. And it says that as they were walking to the crowd to, down the street, suddenly this woman who's really ill touches Jesus. Okay, he touches Jesus. And Jesus suddenly stops and says, who touched me? And I could see the disciples when they were responding. I could see a little sa- a sarcasm in the sentence. Who touched you? Look at everyone around you. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. But Jesus makes a point. He said, someone touched me. Someone who was healed touched me. And the woman who was healed stopped and confessed and said, it was me. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. I've got a little confession of myself. When I was younger in my faith in ministry, kind of in my early 20s, Okay, so more than, a, more than a decade ago, longer than a decade ago, um, I, was called, I was considered a sensiest. Does anyone here know what the term sensiest means? Oh, okay, no. All right. A sensiest is a theological term which means that you reject any idea of healing, prophecy, or speaking in tongues after the age of the apostles. So they believe that once the apostles stopped, okay, once they stopped, there was no more apostles, what we have in the Bible apostles, that any, any spiritual gift of healing, speaking in tongues, or prophecy ended. Okay, any miraculous thing stopped occurring. No one had that power, only the apostles. So, but not only to that, some of these Sitius would believe that some of the, the, the healings in the Bible weren't actually as miraculous as they say they were. That there was some other thing that happened, some other event that occurred. Now, I don't believe that anymore, okay? I've changed. I recognize God's healing power for the, for in every aspect of it that can it be. I recognize all those things, Okay. But for the most part, there are those out there that would try to say, and, and the reason why they believe that, the reason I believed it at first, to be honest, was because of the TV evangelists. 
We've all seen them, right? The big TV evangelists walking around, they're touching people, they're falling over, they're being healed. They were very questionable, and there was a lot of news kind of domi- uh, dom- um, what's the term? Uh, dom- um, a documentary that, was, that were done on these guys, and how they would go and research and find out, well, they weren't really healed, or they thought they were healed, but they weren't really healed, whatever, okay? They, basically, they debunked a lot of these TV evangelists as being fake or being misleading, in essence, after their money. I thought they were all after their money. I still believe that. I think a lot of them are still after a lot of money, okay? That's a personal preference, right? But for the most part, I do believe that it is possible for God to heal. While I was in Laos, even before I went to Laos, I, I observed people that we prayed for, that we prayed for and asked God to heal, and there was no chance of them he, being healed, and the doctor said it's not going to happen, and then suddenly they were healed. They were able to get up and feel better, and everything happened. It didn't happen to everybody, but it happened to some. It ha- it, it was, I, I couldn't tell you why that person versus that person was healed. I could never do that. I, I couldn't. Even myself, even with Joseph, it was a miracle. I honestly believe that. And the reason why, because for your Christmas Eve night, that Sunday night when you guys were praying here at the church, that would have been our Monday morning. And they said on Monday morning, there was a huge change in his health. A huge, unexpected change. The doctor literally said that Saturday and Sunday, there was no change. They were concerned that it was even getting worse. There was no change. And then Sunday night, our Monday morning in Laos, or actually we were in Thailand, right? There was a sudden change. That sudden change occurred very closely within the hours of when you were praying. I can't explain it. For the most part, that was God working. God working through prayer and God believing. And the reason I'm kind of sharing with all this is because the way Jesus responded to this woman that was healed. He said to the woman, your faith has healed you. And a lot of questions I get as a pastor, even when I was a missionary overseas, is why my faith, I pray and nothing happens. What's the difference? Do I not have enough faith? Should I have more faith? And I understand that question. Because in my early 20s, I had a problem with whipping cough. Literally, I just, I mean, I, I cough here with allergies. Miss B always teases me about me coughing again, about the allergies coming up. And, you know, and, and, you know then I'll be, I'll be fine for a period, and then allergies would kick in. But literally, this is not it. I mean, literally, I mean, I saw doctor after doctor. I had medicine. I had a ventilator, like one of those uh, evaporator things that I would have to do twice a day to try to get rid of the cough. It would not end. I had people pray for me. Nothing. I prayed for myself. Nothing. And I asked another question. Do I have enough faith? What am I doing wrong? I'm serving God in in many ways. In ministry, I'm going to school to be a pastor. Do I not have enough faith? Because if I don't have enough faith that God can't heal me, why should I believe? Which is, by the way, a lot of of reasons why there's a lot of sentients. They don't believe that God can heal because they don't think they have enough faith. But the question is not about, do you have enough faith? This woman, let's, let's look at this woman, okay? This woman that, got, that Jesus healed. Well, actually, when she touched Jesus, she was healed. What faith did she really have? 
all she heard was that Jesus had the ability to heal people. That's it. She saw every physician after physician. She said that she spent all of her wealth to be healed. So obviously this woman had a lot of money at one point in time. And as she got sick and she time passed and time passed and time passed, she wasn't getting better. She spent lots of money on physicians. She probably sought treatments after treatment. You know, now today we have alternative treatments, right? Maybe she experienced alternative treatments. I don't know. But all I know is that the text says she spent a lot of money on these physicians. Then suddenly she hears about this man, Jesus, is here in town. If I could just touch him, I can be healed. What, how much faith is that? How can you measure that in faith? For me, I would see that she had very little faith. She was acting more in desperation of hope that something could happen. And she just believed, if I could just do that, it could believe, I could happen. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. It was her faith in who Jesus was. Not faith in that she had this built-up amount of faith, that she could do miraculous energy. She had nothing like that. There's no measurable, countable faith. Everything had to do with what Jesus did. She believed in Jesus. And that alone healed her. That alone made her well. She trusted in Jesus. She had trusted in his power, not of her own. The healing power is through Jesus. Jesus said, it's, the text said that Jesus felt the power leaving him. So it wasn't like she had the power inside of her. She was relying and trusting in Jesus alone. Now the story doesn't end there. There's another part of this story, this text, and they go counter in with each other. I think that's why Mark put this story in, because they're closely connected to each other. Because we can't forget about this ruling elder. This ruling elder was there, and I'm sure as this commotion is happening, knowing his daughter's on the sick on the deathbed, dying, gonna die any moment, at her last breath, sitting there going, We don't have time for this. Hello, my daughter is dying. She's well. Let's go. Come on, people. Let's keep going. I could just literally see this running through his mind. Just as much as I could see looking at my son laying in, in, in the, the uh, incubator, right? With all the ventilations and all the IVs, everything going into his body, thinking, oh my God, God, do something, right? I'm worried and paranoid. It's what's going to happen to my son. I can see that. I can relate to that. I'm sure a lot of you can in many ways. And then, suddenly, someone from his house approaches and says, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus, hearing this, turns to the man and says exactly what he needed to hear. Do not fear. Only believe. At the moment of fear and hurt that went over this ruler, I'm sure what he felt was unbelievable especially hearing his daughter dying. But Jesus says, all you have to do is believe. Believe and trust in me. Not me as the pastor. Me as in Jesus, he says. Trust me and do not fear because Jesus is at work. When they arrived at the house and they went in, everyone was mourning and crying. They couldn't believe that Jesus could do anything. They already accepted the fact that the daughter was dead. There was no faith no belief, no trust, only what they felt, only emotions. 
But emotions is not faith, which we often connect each other to. I don't feel it happening. That is not faith. Faith is something we are given, something that we have, not an emotion that we experience. And then Jesus does something miraculous again, and he heals his daughter. He makes her well and asks her to get up and walk around. The second we fear what God is doing in her life, just as much as a synagogue leader felt and feared the death of his daughter, then our ability and faith to trust in Jesus is lost. This can be applied to many aspects of our life. For our farmers, whose crops are not doing that well because of rain. We're going to pray for that today. We have to trust that God will do something. That God will work. That we, that we don't fear. We believe that God can do something. Let him trust and, be, and rely on him. Believe, not fear. That's what Jesus says. And that's what we must do. Believe in the very work of God, not fear what he's doing. We often don't understand what he's doing, but we fear that aspect. We fear what's going to change in the church or what's happened. I hear from different, you know, I hear throughout the, my life as a pastor, well, that's not going to happen while I'm around or, or that can't be. They, you don't trust God. You trust your own knowledge. We have to trust in what God is doing. Do not fear but believe in what God can do in our own life, in our ministry, in our church. When we believe and we trust, God does amazing things. That's what the, mess, that's what the lesson was for the synagogue leader. He had to believe. Just as much as that woman who just touched Jesus, she believed it could happen. She could believe in something greater than herself, greater and trust in what God can do. So do not fear when God is at work, when God's power is working around others. Do not doubt our own faith, but trust and rely on the faith that Jesus gives us. Let his work be done in us, not our own. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this message, this story. Of these two people, although they are completely unrelated to each other as individuals, but yet in Scripture, you have brought them together to provide the same message that we have to trust in your power, trust in your ability to do great and miraculous things and not to fear. I pray that we, and as a faith, as a church, as a body, become stronger in the faith that you give us. That is not our own faith, not an emotion that we have, but faith that we believe and we can trust knowing that you are at work through your son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit that's moving around us. And we pray all this in comfort through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let us stand for our second hymn, 360, O Christ the Healer, we have come. <laughs>